Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. This is going to be perhaps interesting. I started off last night as I was trying to figure out what we were going to talk about, or what I was going to talk about, and I was going to talk about tithing and giving and so forth. It's been over a year since I've talked about that, so good thing to talk about, remind everybody occasionally. So I went back over previous notes and so forth, and there was something that was mislabeled, and I read that thinking it was about tithing, and everything just went this way and headed off east. So <laughs> we used to have a saying in the Army a long time ago, before most of you were even born, BFO, which is blinding flash of the obvious. And I had a blinding flash of the obvious last night. Modern, it's like, duh. That's the modern equivalent. But BFO is what happened to me. Anyway, I ran across a sermon I had done several years ago by a Musar rabbi by the name of Dessler. And he had a discourse on loving kindness, or chesed. And I had mislabeled it giving. And so that was where I went when I was looking for material for a sermon on tithing. And as I say, when I read that, just everything went, shoop, went off in the other direction. So here we go. Chesed, which most of you know this, is untranslatable in English. There's no English equivalent. It has to be explained. It can't be translated. And I think it was Tyndall or somebody who invented a word. And the word that he invented was loving kindness. It's also translated as grace. A number of things. I say there's no English translation. You just have to explain it, which you can do. So anyway, Dessler's comment was that all of us have two possible motivations. We can be givers or we can be takers. And use his words, takers are thieves, swindlers, seekers of advantage. They want things simply because they don't have them. In other words, something out there and I want it because I don't have it. And the fact that it belongs to somebody else is of no consequence to me whatsoever. My whole focus becomes, all right, how can I get that for myself? What is it going to take? And we're not talking about legitimate buying stuff. In other words, you've earned some money and you've gone out and you need bread or a car or a wristwatch or whatever you need, and you want it and you buy it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are focused on the stuff in the world that they don't have. They're always hungry, but not for food. They're never satisfied. And the good that they do, and I will use good in air quotes, the good that they do, they do it for advantage, as opposed to simply out of a flowing heart. And that took me to where we are today. And in the Malachi reading that Matthew read this morning about the priest bringing polluted stuff up to the altar, you know, lame animals and all that kind of stuff, what that is is unjust weights and measures. And this is my blinding flash of the obvious. As I've read this for years and years and years, I have always taken unjust weights and measures as an economic thing. In other words, you've got two sets of weights, you've got a light set of weights with which you sell, and you've got a heavy set of weights with which you buy. 
which means that you buy, you get more than you paid for, you sell, you give less than your customer paid for. I've always taken it just that way, but it's far, far bigger than that. Has anybody been paying attention to what's going on in the stock market this last week? Several of you are going, yeah, huh? There's a group on Reddit, if for those of you who know Reddit, but it's a message board, that have gotten into investing. And the way Wall Street has traditionally worked is you have specialists. And these people spend their lives studying stocks and bonds and finance and all, and they're, and they're really good. They're, they're very smart people. The model has always been you go to a broker and the broker then talks to his back office, makes recommendations to you, and you, the poor slob that you got money but no knowledge, give your money to him and he invests it for you and you maybe make money and you don't make money, but it depends on the average investor not being a specialist. The specialists are the guys with all the study and all the knowledge and everybody else, yeah, we, we put our money in the market and sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, but the specialist never loses money. Well, what happened with this Reddit thing is you had a whole bunch of their millennial types, you know, 20 to 30 years old, and they got together and there were a bunch of them that were really bright and they were really good. And so they started developing their own research that was at least equivalent to the professionals. So they started investing. And one of the things they discovered was that there was this little stock called GameStop. And GameStop is the blockbuster of video games. Their model was you go into the video game store and you rent a DVD or a CD with a game and you take it home and you stick it into the slot on your PC, you play the game and then you bring it back. It's the Blockbuster model. Blockbuster went broke, by the way, when streaming happened. So this stock had been beaten down and it was like $3 a share. And what these Reddit kids discovered was that there's a whole bunch of institutional investors that the professionals who had sold it short. And what selling short means is you got a stock, say, at $50. You don't own the stock. But you sell that stock with the intention that the stock price is going to go down. You'll then be able to go buy the stock at a lower price and deliver that stock that you sold for $50. And you make whatever the difference is. Perfectly legitimate. There's nothing wrong with it. It's honest. Well, what they discovered is that there was a whole bunch of institutional investors that were extremely exposed on the short side of this game stock. So they started buying it. And when they bought it, instead of going down, which is what the short sellers want, it started going up. And the thing about a short seller is you have to put up enough money to cover the purchase of the stock. So I've got... Pick a number, 10,000 over here. I'm going to short sell this stock. I've got this 10,000 in the brokerage account so that if the stock goes up instead of down, I've got money to cover the thing. Well, it turns out what they did is they took the institutional investors for $70 billion. And what happened was the trading app that they were using shut them down. Wait a minute. You people out there, you're not authorized to be doing this. You're not authorized to take us for $70 billion. That's point number one. Just 
put a tick there. Honest weights and measures we're talking about here. Nobody knows what the actual vote count was in the last election. May have been honest. My doubts are that it wasn't. May have been fraudulent. My personal belief is it probably was. But what you had again was a case of dishonest weights and measures. In other words, the system sold you what was supposed to be an honest election. But what got counted, if I'm correct, was in fact dishonest because they added more votes or they shifted votes. Or not, I'm not going into the mechanics of all that. But the point is, it's an honest weights and measures thing. Now, let me take you over to MICA. We did MICA on Tuesday night. We just finished it. Great little book. And I'm in MICA 6. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod of him who appointed it. That means I've got a stick here and I'm about to slap you upside the head. That's Bible speak for that. So hear of the rod of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Dishonest weights and measures. In other words, your bushel basket is smaller than it should be. So you have a scant measure. And you're selling it for a full bushel, but you're actually not giving them a bushel. So that's a scant measure. Can I forget any longer the treasures of the wicked in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales, with a bag of deceitful weights? Everybody understand what we're talking about here? What God is chapped about. Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speaks lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sin. Here we go. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and so forth. But now, go back to my givers and takers. What I said was, there are givers and takers, according to Rabbi Dessler, which I agree with, by the way. Those who have a giving heart and those who are grasping have a taking heart. Regard everything as mine, like a two-year-old. Mine, mine, mine. That kind of attitude. And what the prophet is saying here is they shall eat but not be satisfied. They will grasp and grab but it will never be enough. And the problem is that they're using dishonest weights and measures. And because that's their attitude, what God is saying is I will give you a hunger that cannot be satisfied if that's the way you're going to treat other people. Go back to the election. Go back to GameStop. What we have in, I don't know what term to use for them, but you've got the financial establishment and the government establishment, which are like snakes around a pole. And the point is, they are hungry, but never satisfied because they have gotten where they are by using dishonest weights and measures. As I say, it was a blinding flash of the obvious to me when I read it and it was, oh, wait a minute, 
we're not just talking about commerce here. We're talking about an attitude. We're talking about how people deal with each other. And what we have seen in this last several months is we have seen all of this laid out and exposed for us. We've seen it in the election. We are now seeing it in the stock market. We're all seeing that all of this whole system is based on dishonest weights and measures and that the denizens who inhabit this system are always hungry and never satisfied. Dishonest weights and measures are by definition fraud. That's the definition of fraud, dishonest weights and measures. You're gaining something not honestly, but by manipulating the system, your system of weights and measures, and you're manipulating the system for your advantage so you are not giving full value for what is offered to you. That's the definition of the taker. So that was the thing that sort of went dong in my head. Now, back to Rabbi Dessler. Givers, on the other hand, God is the ultimate giver. God has no need to take. The only thing that God takes from us is love and respect. But other than that, passage of scripture, if I were hungry, would I ask you? You know, those kinds of things. There's nothing other than love and respect that you can give to God. So God is not greedy. God built this whole terrarium, for lack of a better term, to put us in because he loves us. And one of the things that Dessler came up with, which I very much like, is that love and generosity or chesed go together. And it's really hard to tell which one came first. In other words, do you give to someone or something because you love it? Or do you love it because you give to them? And God is, as I say, the ultimate giver of said, And he gives it to us because he loves us. And the question then is always, well, did he give it to us because he loves us, or does he love us because he gives it to us? I don't know. But they go together. And what we have in our society right now is what I would call counterfeit grace. Let me give you an example. Go to San Francisco, and if you do, you need to wear rubber boots because there's poop all over the streets. Go to San Francisco. And what you have are middle-class people who are thinking they're doing really good because what they're doing is setting up safe injection sites for junkies. And they're setting up places where the junkies can come and overdose in peace without being out on the streets and all that kind of thing. And they think they are just being wonderfully gracious to these poor souls. The only good thing that you can do for a junkie is separate him from his junk. And in fact, I heard Newt Gingrich years and years and years ago. Newt, as you know, is a historian. And he was talking about this kind of thing. And I think he was talking about it in the context of alcoholism. And his comment was, if you keep giving an alcoholic a drink, 
what Americans used to believe is you became complicit in his self-destruction. So you have these people in San Francisco, and this is just an example. You can find it all over our society. They're setting up these safe needle sites or safe abortion sites or safe this, that, or the other thing. And they regard themselves as exercising loving kindness. They're not. What they're doing is they are assuaging their own conscience. They are doing it for themselves, not for the other. Because in truth, what they're doing is helping the other be destroyed. And so what we have now in our country is two things opposite each other, and the problem is they look similar on the surface. So you have this false grace that you can name a thousand government programs that engage in, and this is false grace. And what happens is you have our Congress creatures stand up and say, look at what I've done for you. You poor junkie, I'm just going to give you clean needles. That's false grace. That's what our government is doing. And what's happened is people want it. Just like a junkie wants junk. They want it. And instead of saying, no, what I'm doing is helping you with your own self-destruction, what they do is they say, hey, ha, 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 let me increase the quality and purity of the junk you're injecting. That's false grace. Now, one of the things that we've talked about lots of times in Musar is training of the soul. The idea in Musar is we are physical beings. And all of us, as I say, come up out of the womb with this tension, if you will, between giving and taking. You know, and again, as you see it in two-year-olds, the, the taking is dominant and it takes a while before the taking gets suppressed and you train them into a set, but it's training. And so the idea is you practice giving true grace and what that does is it trains your soul so that the giving of true grace is something that becomes attractive to you and overcomes the two-year-old. Now, I'm going to take you to Luke. And I'm in Luke 6. And you all know this. You can probably quote it by heart. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do, do to them. You've all heard this. So how do you take that and you match it with what I have just talked about, where we have a society awash in dishonest weights and measures. The goal of learning how to exercise chesed, grace, is to become more godlike. We're made in the image of God. And 
the purpose of this time on earth is it's a training place to help us become more like him. I firmly believe this. Well, let's look at what God says in the prophets. Remember Matthew read Malachi? I read Micah? Does the grace of God neglect justice? No, it does not. So the idea of loving your enemy does not mean that you neglect the exercise and the execution of justice. What it means is do not take hatred and bitterness into your heart and do not approach other people from a position of hatred, suspicion, and bitterness. That's what he's saying. And oh, by the way, in that process, you may turn some of them around, which would be a great blessing. But understand that Yeshua, when he speaks, speaks in these absolute terms, as does God. When I'm talking about this, I say this absolutely, and when I'm talking about this, I say this absolutely, and it looks like they're not in concert, but they are. So what God is saying is, just as I love all of you to the extent that I reign on the just and the unjust as well, to the extent that I offer grace and mercy to those who hate me as well as to those who love me, Yeshua didn't die for the people who loved him. Yeshua died for the people who hated him. And in that process, some of those people who hated him came to love him. But crucifying the Messiah was not an act of love on the part of the authorities in Jerusalem. They hated him. They wanted him gone. Yet in that, he emerges victorious. So what Yeshua is saying here in this passage is, you need to look at people the way God looks at them. You need not to hate them. You need not to take that into your soul. But you also need to understand that the quality of justice is still operational. You do not become a soft-headed patsy in that process. And the problem that lots of people have with the scriptures is you have these hard, absolute sayings over here, and you've got another hard, absolute saying over there, and you sort of get to pick the one you like. No, they're all true. And what you need to do is understand that they are all true from God's perspective. And then you need to train yourself so that as best you can, you look at the world from the same perspective. Which doesn't mean that we don't need to get rid of the folks who have prospered by dishonest weights and measures. And the way God does it, in the case of Micah, that I just read to you about, is God whistles up the Babylonian Empire and comes down and cleans them out. I pray that that will not be necessary in our case. But the only reason that's not going to be necessary in our case is if we get it cleaned up ourselves.